Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week, we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. As business owners, maintaining a positive mindset, making time for physical fitness and remaining resilient is easier said than done. Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlite, Gus Arianto and I, are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Anthony Kudafides, former Australian footballer hailing from the Carlton Football Club, a family man, fitness fanatic and entrepreneur. Anthony has always believed that staying fit and healthy determines one's overall success and general well-being. And Anthony is here today to teach us all the secret ingredients to maintaining peak performance and remaining resilient. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thanks, Ned. Thanks, Gus. I appreciate you having me on here. Oh, we are so excited, Anthony, you know, just to imagine that we can learn and get the insight from a real-life athlete uh, uh, and still stay fit right now. It's uh, I cannot wait for the next one hour, Anthony. Thank you for donating your time for our audience all over the world. My pleasure, Gus. Thank you, mate. And Anthony, we begin a little talk by asking our guests two fun questions. So we've got yours. First one, other than AFL, what is your favourite sport and why? Uh, right now, I would say uh, NBA basketball. Uh, why? I just love the sport. I, I always have. I mean, but I was a former athlete growing up, so athletics was probably my other choice back in my junior years. But right now, the NBA, my my two boys play basketball, and so I've been fascinated by the NBA for a long time. And Michael Jordan, I think, is the greatest athlete of all time, and I'll always believe that. Uh, he changed the world with not only basketball but everything, sneakers, and uh, everyone wanted to be like Mike. So <laughs> true. Can I can I ask one question, Anthony? When you yeah. when you say that you love basketball, uh, and you know you came from a uh, Australian football background, uh, I always wonder uh, which sports do you think need more physics and uh, resilient physics during the game? Do you think? Yeah, if you ask me, I think AFL football is the toughest game in the world, in all honesty. I know it's an Australian game, and it's changed dramatically now, but I know as a kid growing up, we had two sports in Australia, it was cricket and football. And football, to me, were like gladiators. And uh, when we look back on highlights back in the 70s and 80s, it was a brutal game. We don't want it to be like that now. But I even thought to myself, geez, I had the dream to play AFL footy or represent Australia, the uh, athletics. But when I look back, I was fearful of a lot of these players that eventually I had to play against. And to me, it was very scary and I had to grow up very quickly. But footy was tough because it uses every element. We talk about you need endurance, you need speed, you've got to be able to jump, you need the peripheral vision, you, you know, physicality, like it's, it's everything in one. And then, of course, you've got opponents going against you that can hold you and, you know, punch your arm and do all these sort of things. So it's a very difficult sport, whereas basketball, for example – it is the most athletic sport, you know, jumping and these guys are so physical and tall and strong. But, you know, you can't go there and whack their arms. And you basically, when they've got the ball, you can't touch them, really. And so it makes it a little bit easier to be able to dominate a game. But Australian football is completely different. And uh, 
back in the old days, if you weren't careful running into those packs, you come out and you wake up, you know, 30 minutes later. So it was very brutal, but it's a different game now. But I, I thought growing up, it, it was a tough game. And we got absolutely flogged in terms of training in that as well. And I'll tell you what, that made me grow up very quickly. And uh, even if I didn't want to grow up, if I wanted to make it, I had to. Isn't it amazing? And Anthony, when we talk about training, are we talking about like five days a week training? Yeah, back then it started part-time really when I first started AFL footy. I mean, people work, players work because we weren't paid, you know, a great amount. But then it became full-time. Hey, look, you could train even six days a week. It was a very physical game, but a lot of recovery too at the same time. But come pre-season, yeah, we're training five, six times a week, sometimes twice a day. It just depends on what the program was like. You go through a period where you train harder and then, of course, you've got to ease off. Otherwise, the body breaks down. But you know, if I, if I look back at my career in 1991, when I first started, it was my first pre-season. Mate, we, we did a 10-day camp up in Narrabeen in New South Wales, the most brutal 10 days. Um, even to now, I can say it's probably the hardest 10 days of my life that I ever experienced, training in the morning and in the evening. And the running that we did and the schools training and all that, that was really brutal. Back then, it was it was an acceptance to, be, to do that. Nowadays, you wouldn't train like that. So the game has evolved, you know, and the science behind it always evolved enormously since, you know, when I first started. So interesting. And Mark, I do have one more question. Early bird or night owl? Which one are you? I'm an early bird. I never was. I think I taught myself to be an early bird. And uh, that was, you know, one of the things that I lacked when I first came into the AFL system was the laziness. I was quite a talented athlete growing up. And I think things may have come a little bit too easy for me and didn't realise how hard I had to work if I wanted to become a senior football player. And so that was one of the things. And uh, I used to sleep in a lot, which was a really bad habit. And I teach my kids this, that I learned a lot through that time, that if I slept in too much, you just become such a lazy person. The mind doesn't function as well as it should. And until I started to get myself and force myself up to have a better daily routine, then things started to change. So early bird. And isn't that great? We just heard you can be taught right, waking up early. You know, people go, I'm just stuck in those ways. It can be taught. So if you're not an early riser, you can be an early riser. I agree in that. A lot of it's like, you know, people telling themselves, oh, yeah, I'm not an early morning person. Well, I wasn't either, but I taught myself that because why? I had a goal that I wanted to achieve and go out there, and that's what I did. And so if I wanted to make it or achieve that goal, I had to do that. And uh, by doing that, it just really changed my game and the way that I lived my life. And so I still do it now. It's so, Anthony, whilst we are uh, on that topic, you know, during your prime era, you know, the everyone recognize you as the most powerful and athletic player of all time. Many, many say that. Not to mention, um, you have the ability to play on every position. Not not many football players have the ability like you. You literally able to play on every position on the field. Uh, can you give us three recipes, you know, if you relate sports to business, for example? The journey from the bottom to the top, starting with wake up in the morning and being disciplined, if that's one of them, because I like what you said, if I want to achieve my goal, then I have to do that. What are your top three messages to all of us to get to the top? I think number one, hanging around the right people. I, I walked into an environment of uh, success for decades at the Carlton Football Club. They were so powerful. When I grew up, I was a mad Collingwood supporter, which was the arch enemy and rival to the Carlton Football Club. But I lived in the Carlton zone. My brother was a mad Carlton supporter, and I remember every year he'd be cheering and I'd be crying. That's how good Carlton were. 
for many decades, are winning premierships and the elite club of the AFL. And I walked into that environment. And so I, I learned from there that I, I was around very successful players who had not just some of them had not just one premiership, some had two or three and maybe one, maybe even had four premierships. I'm, I'm not sure. It was led by the greatest president of all, John Elliott, who led the charge and build a family environment. But by hanging around those sort of players. So I came into that, that environment where it wasn't just great Carlton players, there was some great AFL players. And so by hanging around them and started to observe what they did, I started to implement what they did as well. And so hanging around the right people, I think is uh, one of those attributes that's very, very important if you want to be able to succeed. The other one was I learned how important a diary is and to map out your day. Otherwise the day just unfolds in front of you and you don't achieve anything. And so my older brother, Paul, used to tell me at high school, yeah, if you've got to get a diary, I'm like, mate, relax with your diary, relax. Well, at a critical time in my AFL career, when I went to see a sports psychologist, uh, he told me, you go and buy a diary and you're going to start writing down everything throughout the day and you're going to start ticking it off. So you've achieved a lot throughout the day. That changed changed a lot about me as well. And so that's the other thing. And um, the other one's probably the hard work. You always feel like you maybe, oh, no, I'm training hard, but you've always got a little bit more to give. That little bit of whether it's two or three or four or five percent more, we've all got it inside of us to be able to do that little bit more. And uh, yeah, that's probably the three things, I think. Uh, what I found when people talk about hard work, which is uh, absolutely needed, even in the field uh, of business that I do right now, uh, right now, the millennials or the, the, the current generations, will always say, but Anthony, it's not about hard work, Mike. It's about smart work. How do you respond to that? I agree with him. If that's how they see it and they can succeed, I'm fine with it. I grew up in an era where it was all about hard work, you know, working as hard as you can, improving daily a little bit more, and you get better that way. I can't sit back and say, that, you know, work smarter. Yes, I, I agree with it. If you can do that, not a problem for me, but I enjoy the hard work. I think mentally it's good for me too. And I know in times of when I struggled throughout my uh, AFL career, one of the things I used to do was get myself out of that energy. And by doing that, it's, that means some days I've got to get up early, whether it was to go for a run, an extra swim, bike ride, do whatever it was, just to get myself out of that, you know, that everyday same feeling. I did that. So I got myself out of my comfort zone. And so for me, I've always worked that way. And so I came out of an environment of AFL football where if you didn't work hard, you never succeeded. And so I've seen a lot of players that walked in with so much talent and ability, but were so lazy and did the wrong things. And you may not see the the end effect of it straight away, but over a year or two or three seasons, all of a sudden they're out of the system. And I I got to play with a guy in the current under-19s who I thought was an absolute superstar <clears throat> and I thought the best player I've ever seen. But, you know, he's um, a little disciplined throughout the day, a little bit of laziness and not working hard enough. Or, well, you know, he fell out of that out of the club, missed out on a premiership, you know, in 1995. And so I've seen a lot of that. Then I see the other guys who should never have made it and don't have anywhere near as much talent as the other people who work their butt off and get every little ounce out of themselves that they possibly can and, You know, you can sit back at the end of their career and go, you know what, I gave my absolute best and I achieved over and above what I expected to achieve and I'm happy and, you know, they're happy with life and that as well. And they take that into their working life also. So if people can work smarter, I, I commend you. I really do. But for me, it's all about, you know, working hard. On, uh, that's my philosophy. Anthony, before we go on to more questions, can we just get so the audience understands, if you can just tell us, a bit about yourself and the career. A lot of us know, but if you can just, from Anthony's perspective, 
if you can share that with us, that'll be fantastic. And that I came into the AFL system as people had this perception that I was more of an athlete than a footballer. And I think a lot of people had the perception that I started uh, AFL football or, you know, Aussie rules football at a later stage of my life. I started at the age of eight. I had migrant parents who didn't know anything about the game. I went to a local primary school, had over a thousand kids. I got introduced to the overball and fell in love with it. I had an older brother, one year older, he was Paul, who fell in love with the overball also. So our friends said, why don't you come down to local footy club and try out? And we did. We didn't tell mum and dad. We thought we were just going for a casual kick. And uh, by the time we got home, Melbourne winter. So daylight when we left, by the time we got home, pitch dark. Mum and dad were furious, wanted to know where we'd been. We told them we went down to a local footy club to try out. And I can still remember both their faces when they said, you're not going to play this game because their perception was this game's too rough and tough and not for my kids. And I can understand because it really was a rough game back then. And they didn't really understand it too well. But uh, we said, no, we're going to play. And so we had a wonderful Australian family that took us picked us up, took us to the games, brought us home. So eventually they see mum and dad out the front and explain to them that your kids have got a little bit of talent. You should, you know, try to support them. My dad started taking us to the games and then from the second year onwards, mum started to come along and uh, they never missed one single game that I played And after that. And so my dad was, just so you know, my dad was actually born in Egypt, but of Greek background. My mum was Italian. She was born in Italy. And uh, so somehow they met. I don't know how they communicated, but they had three kids. So... Um, that was a little bit different to be half Greek, half Italian. And uh, so they didn't miss one game after, you know, I played. And then that was in the winter. Then my brother took up athletics in the summer. And, you know, I was still eight at that time. And I watched him. I was a bit of a shy kid. I watched him compete for half a season before I finally had the courage to get out there and start competing myself. And then I had a little bit of natural talent in athletics. So by the time I was in grade five, I was a state high jump champion. And when I was 14, I became Australian champion under 15s, under 16s, until I got beaten by... A guy, his name was Tim Forsyth, who became one of Australia's greatest high jumpers of all time, who won a bronze medal, won the Olympics, and uh, he won the gold medal at at a Commonwealth Games. Um, uh, What's his name? Starks won the last Commonwealth Games gold medal. Before that, it was Tim Forsyth. So, phenomenal athlete. I uh, also was an Australian champion, 110-metre hurdles with an Australian record, and and I won many multi-events, so, like, in terms of, like, junior decathlon. So could I have gone on to become an Olympian? Maybe. It, maybe definitely not in a high jump. Maybe in the hurdles are more than likely, you know, I uh, could have competed uh, in the decathlon. So I was quite good at quite a few events. So at that same time, I still played football. And I lived just before the draft days. I lived in the Calden zone where mum and dad were. And so at the age of 14, I got a letter to go down and try out in the junior development squad. And I played two years under 15, made the Victorian team. and then under-19s at Carlton, and then I made the Till Cup, Tup, Till Cup team, which is when you play against all the best in Australia, made the All-Australian team and sent out back. And then Carlton offered me a uh, three-year contract, so I gave away my beloved athletics at that time. And that was a hard decision because I really did love athletics, but I thought I had a better chance of playing AFL footy. And then I could still live at home with mum and dad being a good European boy. And so I chose that and signed a three-year deal when I first started. It was only $7,800 in all honesty in 1991. 92 was the same and 93 was the same. My contract grew dramatically in that second half of my uh, AFL career. But, you know, it wasn't about the money when I first started. It was about me, you know, living my dream. And that dream was then to play AFL footy. And so when I signed it, that's that's what I did. So after a bit of a slow start, which I'm sure we can probably touch on later on, more in depth of it, you know, a couple of best and fairest. I won a premiership, which was the greatest day of my life in 1995. And, uh, you know, uh, all this, a couple of all Australians, but... I made the Greek team of the century, the Italian team of the century, but to uh, 
you know, at the end of it, made the Australian Rules uh, AFL Hall of Fame. And to me, that's one of the greatest honours, um, in particular how slow my career started, which we can delve into later so I don't give it all away now. So that's sort of a little bit of brief uh, history about me. Fantastic. Yeah, and what you just said, Anthony, I've got to ask, like with all of this, how did you actually manage to stay focused and motivated? Because even as business owners, that is one of the key things in business if you don't have that focus you don't have the motivation your business will crumble so from your perspective how did you yourself stay focused and motivated it wasn't easy in that like it really wasn't there was times believe me I wanted to quit the game especially early on uh in 1991 I didn't get a senior game so I played a lot of reserves for him people don't realize when you look at my AFL record it's, it says 278 games um you know, 226 goals or whatever, but it doesn't say 50 reserve games also. And so, you know, 1991, I didn't get a game. 1992, I played six games out of the possible 22. 93, I played eight games. 94, got dropped halfway through the year. And then uh, I thought it was the end of my career, in all honesty. So three and a half years it took me. And then two weeks later, they picked me on the wing in a position that I could uh, just go out there and play footy. And then from that moment onwards, I never looked back. And it was just in time for the greatest year of my life in 1995. We only lost two games for the entire year as a football club. It was the AFL record back then. And, of course, we went on to win the premiership. And so there was many moments throughout those three and a half years that I wanted to quit, believe me. I had great family support, some good friends around me. Um, but it was very difficult. I think the coach, David Parkin, who I love now, I didn't see eye to eye with him early on. He never really spoke to me and never really taught me too much about the game. I had migrant parents who didn't teach me. And so I had to learn a lot myself. Some people walk into an environment where the leader just, I don't know, embraces them and sees something good in them. And maybe my coach didn't see it in me. I played it like what you said, Gus. I played in every position on the ground. It was unheard of before back in my day. I was the biggest, tallest, probably strongest midfield to go into playing the midfield. It was unheard of for someone six foot three to go and play as a ruck rover in the midfield. And because uh, when all, usually the midfielders just run all day and they weren't as tall, but you got this guy that could mark and jump and uh, get the ball off the ground. All of a sudden, it started to change the games. And, and every recruiting officer around Australia started to look for athletes like myself in year 2000. And Sam Mitchell, who's the current Hawthorne coach, even wrote in his book that uh, for, uh, I was a problem for him because when he came into the system, he wasn't so much of an athlete, more as a footballer. And so he was disregarded by a lot of recruiters because he wasn't an athlete. And he wrote it in his book. He became on to become an absolute superstar. So it doesn't matter what people think or judge or believe. It's what you have in your heart and your mind. And so, yeah, now in terms of, um, you know, getting yourself up and going, I think if you've got your, if you're, if you're why is strong enough, the how is easy. No? And my my uh, why was, you know, I just wanted to play AFL footy and uh, make the most of it uh, in, in a uh, sport that I love dearly. Sorry, uh, the thing that I really get is when you say people see me playing, they didn't see me 51 games, I'm on reserve. Uh, the, the, the imagination of that, you know, uh, you know, on before the show, we talk about Michael Jordan, you know, people think about how successful he was and uh, not think that how many failures uh, he have to endure. Uh, and that's one thing that I, I, I really, really see athlete, pro athlete uh, as an exemplar of a leader because you have the ability to uh, what I call swallowing your ego, put it that way. Because people don't see that side. They just, you know, see the pride and the, you know, the wins. 
Yeah. Gus, you know, honestly, like in 1994, the club sent me to go and see a sports psychologist. His name was Anthony Stewart. And uh, I was all for it because I was sort of at my bottom point, you know, in football. It was like a crossroads. You know, if I, if I don't do something now, I'm going to be out of the system. And so I went to sit down with Anthony Stewart. He was the guy that told me, you've got to get a diary and you've got to start mapping out your days. And also highlight at the top of your diary, I can, I will, you just watch me. And so every day I used to have to write, I can. I will, you just watch me. I had to buy highlighters and I had to highlight it oh, wow. that every single day. And I sort of hid it from my parents. So I'm thinking, if my parents see me highlighting, I can, I will, you just watch me. I'll just start thinking, of, you know, maybe lost the plot. It was maybe a little bit different back then to do those sort of things. And so I did it. But those words there really had a major impact in my life. And so every time I went out to training with a focus, whether it was marking, whether it was kicking on the night or handballing or whatever it was, I decided to go there a little bit earlier and stay that little bit later to get more out of the training. And those every little bits that I did made such a big difference. And so two weeks later, I got picked to play on a position we call the wing. And the wing was able to showcase my skill to be able to run out and do the things that I was capable of doing, which I, I knew I could do, but I felt like I was stuck in a cage for so long under a coach that maybe didn't see what I could do. Whereas other coaches would walk in and go, man, do you understand what sort of play you've got here? And so I went through you know, a very difficult time, but I'm thankful that I went to see Anthony Stewart, who uh, really had a major impact in those words. It was life-changing for me because two weeks later, there I was. And every week, I think every week, barring probably the last final we played, I was in the best players at the Carlton Football Club and everything started to change, you know, and uh, sponsorship started coming and, um, you know, calendars and promotions and, uh, all these things, commercial started happening all because, you know, three and a half years of tough, tough years, unsure, where, you know, what I was going to do. And luckily, I always think now when people say, you know, what are you so proud about your career? It's not so much the achievements. It's about those three and a half years that I toughed it out to then become a senior player. And who would have thought in 1994, halfway through the season, if someone had come up to me and said, Kuda, I believe you're going to make the AFL Hall of Fame, everyone would have said, mate, get, get – what, what is wrong with you? You need to go see a psychologist yourself, you know? And so I never expected what was going to occur afterwards. And so I take that with me now into, you know, the life that I live now, that not everything's going to be perfect and uh, every situation is just going to, you know, work out for you. You've got to really work hard and believe in there's moments that you're going to sit there and think this is not going to happen, but you've got to keep pushing yourself and keep going. And that's what I did. Imagine I didn't. I would have missed out on, the, the, like what I said before, 1995 is the greatest year of my life. I was a 22-year-old kid, you know, born in the northern suburbs. You know, I came from obscurity. Yeah, and the people knew locally who I was, but no one knew that. No one could even pronounce Kudafitis, let alone, you know, imagine that name being out there. And so, you know, 1995, it was just unbelievable to lose two games for the entire year. We lost to the two bottom teams. Can you believe it? Like, we should have really went through undefeated that year. We got to the finals. We just got over Brisbane Bears. They were before Brisbane Lions back then. We got the prelim final, smash North Man. We came to the grand final and Geelong were favourites. We ran out in front of 90-odd thousand people there. The build-up to that week, the grand final, the car parades around the city of Melbourne is a time and moment that I'll never forget. And no matter what happens in life, when I you get older or whatever, I can always take that moment with me is that premiership. And so I remember standing there on the MCG in front of 90-odd thousand people in the middle of the ground. It was about halfway through the last quarter. We're up by 80-odd points and I'm looking around going, Oh, my God, I'm about to be a premiership player here. And uh, to me, as a young kid, that last Saturday Saturday of September, I used to sit there and watch every year, of course, grand finals. We were never allowed to really watch footy replays at home. We were allowed to watch the grand finals and imagined myself being out there. I never really imagined myself being out there, but it was the greatest 
day on the calendar for me. And there I was at the age of 22 winning a premiership. So luckily I did persist and continue on. And I have Anthony Stewart to thank so much for and a couple of other role models. Yeah, yeah, Wayne Britton and Barry Mitchell, who just – Barry Mitchell's Tom Mitchell's father. Tom Mitchell won a Brownlow medal. Barry I played with for a little while. And uh, him and Barry, um, him and Wayne Britton were my two greatest mentors. It taught me so much about the game. And so, you know, sometimes you've got to have someone that just believes in you and sees something in you. And uh, you've got to believe it yourself too, though. That's, that's the other key and critical part. And I think if you work hard, the universe will unfold and something will happen. And so that's where it's really, really important. I was going to say, Anthony, I have to say thank you for being so or so raw and honest with that because, you know, there are lots of business owners struggling at that moment, at the moment, really at that point, like what you said, where you were saying, they may want to give up. But your message there of that three and a half years of really hard work, you know, that's what it took to get there. And for you, you know, everyone sees Anthony, this successful, you know, wonderful uh professional athlete, you know, entrepreneur, they see the end result and yet there was so much hard work and dedication and challenges that you went through just like, you know, lots of business owners out there. 100% now, nothing's easy and we always look at the achievements. That's what I always say too, but, you know, the background of it all is tough and hard work and even like I lived at home until I was 27 and finally got engaged. You know, being a good European boy, I would have stayed home if I never got married, probably. Mm -hmm. Mum did everything for me, a bit sport. It's not like that nowadays, and I apologise for the people out there. But, um, you know, uh, my father got diagnosed with cancer at the end of 1997, and then three months later he passed away. That was the the toughest part of my life, you know, to accept that my father wasn't around. I loved him dearly, and, uh, you know, I drove mum and dad to the footy games every single week. While my teammates were turning out with girlfriends and, uh, you know, uh, other teammates, I drove mum and dad. I was embarrassed, don't get me wrong, and people would turn up and go, oh, yes, my mum and dad over there, you know, just driving in the footy. But that, you know, I knew how proud they were, but to not have my dad there in 1998 really affected me mentally, and that was another hard period of my my life. My footy crumbled, in all honesty, because I just wasn't focused on footy. I just wanted my father to be back, but I had to accept the fact that he was never going to come back. And I remember round one, I was best on ground. I just imagined my father being out in the, in the stands. But every week after that, my footy got worse and worse uh, to a point where we played Freeman. I think I probably played the worst game of my, my life that day. I think I had something like five possessions. And Mike Sheen wrote an article, and at the back of the article, I had dropped Kuda. And it was a fair call, and it was really was. But it was another awakening for me. And I sat down with Barry Mitchell and Wayne Britton. And they said, Kuda, you know, like, we know you're going through a hard time in your life, but um, you know if you really want to make it, it's a cruel world, right? Like if you really want to make it, you, you've got to you're not fit enough. You've got to really start to work harder now. And then, and, and that was a tough moment because I went home and I, you know, I cried. You know, we do all that. And um, I thought of my father. And I thought, what what a fool I am. And here I am drinking my life. I was just out going out drinking and not caring. And I thought of my father. I'm thinking, does he want to see me drink my life away, or does he want to see me go out and uh, play the best footy that I possibly can play? I thought, mate, of course he's going to want to watch me play good footy. And so I promised him then that I would work harder than I ever did before, and, and I did. And I went to training. And I, went, I, I worked my butt off to turn things around. It doesn't happen straight away. But I got to experience the three greatest years of my, years of my football life after that. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong, if I could turn back the clock, I'd rather have my dad there. But it taught me a big lesson of how hard, you know, you can work. And if you make a promise to yourself and uh, if I if I cheated, I, if I didn't do what I promised my dad, I would have felt like I was lying to him and I, I, I couldn't do that. And so I, I worked extremely hard. And then by the end of 1998, I found really good 
uh, consistent form. 99, I missed the last five games, but I've been, you know, second in the best and first of the club. <clears throat> Year 2000, I won the most valuable player award, so I was voted by all my peers to say that I was the best player in the competition that year. And then 2001 was another unbelievable year for me. I won the you know best and fairest and stuff. So three of the best years of my career came after the most difficult time of my life, you know, when I when I lost my father. And so life is cruel. Life throws curveballs at us. And I think I've learned to always accept that being a sports person, I don't know if I was just a business person, whether I, I would or not, but we get judged by people sitting in the grandstands watching us. And no matter what you're going through in your life, you get judged by what, the way that you perform on that day. And so there's no... There's no shortcuts. There's no hiding. You can't cheat at training or whatever because we get exposed on the field. And so that's where sports may be a little bit different with business because business, you can behind, you can hide behind closed doors and say, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm eating the right foods and I'm doing the right thing, but really you're not. And so that I reckon, to me, when I talk to my team, <clears throat> I always say that defines a person to me. It's what you do behind closed doors. Don't in front of me show you this sort of person, but behind closed doors, you're doing something else. And so, yeah, they're the sort of things that, uh, you know, I try to teach my team in that too. I don't come from textbook. I come from real life experiences and that's the way that I see life and that's the way I try to teach people too in the same thing. I'm not perfect. I still got a long way to go. You know, I'm not some successful, crazy, you know, businessman, but I see myself as every day just getting that little bit better. And I love that because I think it's good for you mentally in that as well. When we look back, year 2000, Uh, when you almost, you almost won the Brownlow, you almost, but then you had injury. You know, you are a clear favorite. Everyone think you you will get it. You said since '98, your career go up. Everything, all the hard work you put in, you have a stellar years after year. 2001, club best and favorite. But when you miss the Brownlow and you have to. You know that's also because of your injury, and not to disrespect to the winner. But um, how do you, you know, in the topic of resilience, how do you once again? So there's a different when, uh, you know, physically you get challenged when when things like that because you can wake up the next morning and do the push up and things like that. Maybe you get stronger. But when mentally and your ego being bruised. How? What's the message to all of us in terms of lifting yourself the next morning when you are in challenge due to the word ego? I'm not saying that to you, but I, I'm suspecting there will be some impact as well as a human being. All I can do, Gus, is say to people, you control the controllables. I mean, the umpire votes I can't control. That's really up to them. I got voted in the media that year as 13 best on grounds in a row. I came to the Brownlows being the favourite and... Uh, Uh, I wasn't even in front even when I got injured. So I, I knew I was in trouble. There were some games I, I had to play like these most incredible games to get three votes. You know, 39 possessions, 14 marks, two goals. 38 possessions, five goals to get three votes. So even a game when I had 32 possessions, four goals, it wasn't good enough to get three votes. So I'm not sure how the, the um, umpires judged it, but in the media, I got voted 13 games in a row. I was best, best on ground. So it was some sort of AFL record, you know, back then. But Look, was I disappointed at that time? To me, it was like, okay, next year I'm going to show them again. And now I look back and think, wow, wouldn't it be nice? Because, you know, another All-Australian, just say, for example, or two, another Best and Ferris, a Norm Smith medal. Imagine I won the Brownlow. Like, you know, all these things, when you look back and you see them in your resume, fantastic. But, you know, I look and just go, it wasn't meant to be. Out of my hands, for whatever reason, 
the universe didn't want me to win the Brownlow medal, and so I continue on. And so it was a tough one. A shame I Woden won it. He's a great player, and a lot of people say, you know, maybe he's not worthy of that Brownlow, but at the end of the day, he won it, and he can take it with it with him forever. And I, I commend him because footy is a very tough game. And so it wasn't the big us. And uh, no matter what happens, man, like we just got to keep going. So to me, like I look at the NBA and think Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. I think Kobe was second in my opinion. And he got rated number 10. Like everyone has their different opinions on who they think and whatever. All our thing is is just to, to keep going. And that's all, that's all I did. And it's, uh, it's really sometimes easy said, but really hard. Like I related to you, Anthony. I also lost my mother to cancer seven years ago, but I made her the promise that I will keep going in life. And when you've got that, that always in the back of the mind, when you do hit those parts or those challenges, you kind of have that. You know, you've made that promise and you pick yourself up and you keep going. So it's such a really clear message to everyone, just keep going no matter how hard life is or what challenges you're facing. Yeah, you only improve out of your comfort zone, don't you, really? I know, like, when I got to the Carlton Football Club, I never really did a <clears throat> football pre-season. In our first pre-season, we did 5,100s, and I got put into the fastest group. And I, yeah, maybe I was a good athlete, maybe over 100 metres, but anything over that, I was terrible. So I didn't have great endurance, and, you know, like, it was really – tough and hard but I look back and think of some of the things that were said to me too like they weren't nice but like that made me the person that I am now and I know some people can be a little bit precious about things and that that's fine if that's how you want to feel to me it's like if I didn't go through those experiences that I did I wouldn't be the person that I am now I remember one time I started on the bench at the Carlton Football Club and uh, Andrew McKay one of my teammates came off with the blood rule and I literally just ran on the field and the runner came out to me as I ran on and he said, uh, he said, uh, Parker, David Parkin, who's our coach, he said uh, to me, he, he wants to know if you want to play today. And I, I just, I stood there and like if I, uh, internally I was crying thinking what, you know, what is it that, that he wants me to do? You know, if I could dig a hole and bury myself, I, I would have. Like I literally just ran on the field. Did he want me to just run through someone? Did he want me to just go and punch someone? Did he want me to like what? What is it? Tell me what what it is that you want me to do, and I will do it. But a minute later, I was in on the bench and I never played the rest of that game. And so mentally, that was really hard, really hard. But like nowadays, I'm not sure if the uh, current day players would accept it and just keep going as hard as it was. Yes, I had wonderful family support, but all those tough times and the the things that I didn't want to hear made me the person I am now, made me stronger. I wasn't a, you know, a strong person when I walked into that football club, but through everything that I learned, I became so much stronger mentally. So everyone can do it. You know, you can't, you're not born, you know, this sort of way. You can always just improve with it as well. And so I thank football for that reason too. It made me really grow up a lot, you know, quicker than probably I, I would have if it wasn't for the experiences that I experienced at the football club. I remember at the end of 1991, I promised myself that I would train harder because that year there I didn't play senior game and I started doing weights and all of a sudden I started putting on size and, and uh, you know, the next year I won the reserves best and fairest playing a fullback in a position I didn't even like, you know. But, I, I, you know, I learned a lot of things by playing there as well and, uh, you know, I became pretty much like unbeatable there, you know, fullback. And so all these little things moulded me into the person that I am today. And so any experience like that, like what you say now, like, you know, just – Find something, whatever it is, the goals or, you know, something that you love that you want to go out and achieve. And although it may take time, even if you don't hit the goal, 
you've improved so much. You'll become so much better person for whatever by just trying to achieve. I'll write down goals too. I'm no different. Do I achieve everyone at the end of the year? No. But by chasing, I know I'm getting better. And, you know, Anthony, I'm just looking at time and I know our audience also want to touch on peak performance, but everything you've mentioned about resilience is just fantastic. But I am going to switch the conversation across to peak performance uh, and, you know, how we maintain this. And the reason being we know that business owners are really time poor and, you know, juggling these daily tasks and often their physical and mental well-being is all pushed to the side. What advice would you have for these business owners that are actually saying they don't have time for their physical fitness, their well-being and themselves overall because they're working these crazy hours, you know, they're starting out, they've got multiple jobs, they're, you know, when they're starting out as a you know, solo team, solo business, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, look, now it's not easy easy for me to say it's really, you know, really up to them, but, you know, you've got to find time. To me, when I lost my father, I realised the importance to value my health, number one, before everything else, and that includes family. That might sound a bit selfish, but if you're not healthy and not feeling good, you reflect that on everyone else as well. And so priority number one has got to be yourself, you know. Yes, the family is so, so important. I'll do everything that I can for them. But if I'm not healthy and not feeling good, believe me, I'm going to push them to the side also. And how I remember was going to a game when my father was unwell. And every time I went to the game, good luck, good luck. And this time he didn't. I said, Dad, you're going to wish me good luck. But like he was that ill and unhealthy. He didn't, you know what I mean? Like as much as he loved him, he, he, he couldn't even do it. He couldn't do it because he just wasn't well. And so we have to prioritize our health, number one. I think a lot of it, look, there's a lot of people lacking energy nowadays, and I think most doctors' visits nowadays is people lacking energy. It comes down to nutrition. And so, <laughs> excuse me, a lot of disciplines throughout the day of getting your nutrition right is the thing that's going to give you the energy to keep uh, to keep moving along. And so I myself, I know, because 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I was struggling with my health too. Sometimes I'd sleep 11 hours a night. I'd get out of bed, go to work, but I'd get home from work and sleep on the couch had all these health issues, I went to see doctors, allergy specialists, blood specialists, everything they told me to do, I felt worse and worse. I was eating organic food and that didn't help. You know, I uh, I came across a great nutrition that I take now, the Herbalife Nutrition, which I've been taking now for 11 years. And those products there have just given me the energy, uh, the nutrition that I need throughout the day to just help me to just keep going and going. So to be able to find time to be able to train. But like, if you're going to say to me, what's more important? Is it the, the training part or nutrition? I'm going to say nutrition because, you know, there's times that my body just doesn't allow me to train. It's broken. I feel like I'm at the edge of not being able to train very soon. My shoulder's that bad. But I get my nutrition right, then the body's still in decent shape. So to me, the nutrition is right. If you're time poor, really focus on your nutrition. Find someone, a coach, maybe like we all need mentors or coaches that maybe can help you. Uh, you know, I look after a lot of lot of clients and I've seen unbelievable results, 20, 30, 40 kilo loss. Like 20 kilos is sort of like a normal thing for us to see, you know, what we do. But, you know, if your nutrition is right, a little bit of training, and I think the, the training part is good mentally for you to reshape 100%, but even a little walk here and there is going to be really good for you. And so, yeah, it comes down to energy too, Nat. So it's simple for me to say, oh, you've got to find time. I understand these guys, these people are working hours and hours. So if you're lacking time there and you're struggling to get up, maybe you do got to, maybe you do have to focus on your nutrition part because I think to me that was the most critical thing that changed my life, you know, it had a major impact on my life. It was life changed really 11 years ago. It came down to nutrition. 
Yeah, and, and you know, a, a lot of you were saying, you know, business owners are tired, exhausted. You know, how, from your perspective, how do you find this energy to stay strong? Because it's, you know, like if I'm writing all day, for example, by eight o'clock, the last thing I could think about is going, you know, to run around or, you know, go to the gym or do something like this. How do you actually maintain this strength? Yeah, well, I don't know. Here's one, you know, I have this drink every day. So I don't know, like it to me, it comes down to nutrition. I found something that I love and I have energy, sustained energy. I call it dynamic health every single day. And so I always have that energy to be able to do that, to recover. Sometimes you only sleep three or four hours, but you know what? You can just keep going. And so nutrition is the key to it all, I think. And so just find a good, good, you know, good thing. We travel and life gets very difficult because we're searching for things and we're eating the wrong foods. And nowadays, food lacks nutrition like it used to. I think 20, 30 years ago, a tomato back then was completely different to the way it is now. You know, do you need to eat three or four or five tomatoes to get the equivalent of the same nutrition we did back then? I don't know. That's debatable, maybe. I heard it's a little bit like that, but definitely when you grow things out of your garden compared to what you buy at the shop, it's completely different. And so find good nutrition, man. And like I always say to people who change it, not change your breakfast, change your life, but like if you start your day with a good, a good breakfast, a healthy breakfast that's low in calories, but so much nutrition, then if you cheat later on, it's okay. But if you start your day unhealthy in the morning, high calories, not much nutrition, man you got a long day ahead of you, and that's the key to it as well. And so little snacks in between, like people, I'll go out to dinner and go, I can't believe you're eating that, Coot. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I basically whatever I want. Last time I had fish and chips. I had a burger and fries, right? Potato cakes. I I love that. Now, I'm human too. I enjoy those foods. Mumsy Tan, I still eat pasta. Had a little bit of pizza last night too because there was pizza there uh, on the table. And so I still enjoy my food, but throughout the day, I'm really strict and I stick, you know, stick to my program as much as I possibly can. And so the nutrition is critical in whatever it is that you do. But still at the same time, I'm not one of those guys that is strict with every little meal that I have. But I know over the years how much I've learned and I educate my people in that sort of way as well that there's a balance in everything that we do. But it's so critical to get the nutrition right. And I think now as time moves on and food's getting a little bit different out there, that it's going to become even more and more important, you know, into the future as well. Anthony, uh, when I listen to what you say, it's a lot of discipline uh, into your life. You know, whether we're talking about nutrition, whether we're talking about your training, your practice, your learning, a lot of discipline. Now, disciplined people, uh, you know, from the outside, you know, many people who said, He's so disciplined. He must be bore. He must be boring, right? Because the, normally the people that is not boring is uh, out of discipline. But when we talk to you, you are far away from boring. You know your story, the way you mention things, the way you even mention you had burger and chips, pizza and chips, pizza. Blah, blah. What's your message to us so we can be sticking with our discipline, but yet maintaining? life as a fun human being because if everything is strict to your diary and to your uh you know discipline uh unless we maybe yeah, yeah i hope i asked the right question here like, i do not see you if, if if you're not mentioning this i will be not seeing you as someone that is very disciplined from the time you wake up to the time you sleep but everything you say is based on 
have a diary, eat well, manage your time. Yet you are a fun person to even listen. Gus, I find it fun. And as you were saying, asking the question when you first started asking, that's the first thing that came to my head that I really enjoy it. Like when I look back at my football career, if there was moments that I really disliked turning up to training, it was times that we had time trials and you knew you had to like just go and do your best. I mean, you never look forward to those sort of things. And so even now when I train, I don't go out with the intention of, man, I've got to train so hard now, whatever, because I won't get out there myself. So I'm no different to a lot of people. Some people maybe actually thrive on that sort of stuff. I don't know, but I like to go out there and have more like fun. And that's what I do with my training. So then if I feel like pushing myself, I do. I just feel like if you know you're going to train hard and you're sitting there and you're that little bit tired, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. The moments you don't feel like doing is when you've got to do it. And you just go out there and it doesn't have to be like at 100% every time, but just that, that movement to go out and just do it, do it that's going to even have so much difference in your disciplines moving forward as well. And so to me, I try to make everything fun, like whether it's training, whatever, I run easy. People ask me, they, they ring me up, mate, yeah, Kudo, I'm, I'm training, I'm doing this and that, what, I, I, I can't lose weight. I said, mate, you're training 10 times harder than what I am. So there's something not quite right. And so everything I do, I try to just do with a little bit of fun. And when I, of course, I'm competitive, if I get out there, I need to train that a little bit harder. I'll do that also. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the times I just go more like to have fun out there, more so than seeing it as, you know, a grind. Uh, and so that's how I see it. Even with my nutrition, I've been doing it now for 11 years. I, I love it. I enjoy it. You know, I have shakes or whatever. I make shakes and I do all different recipes. I call myself Chef Kud. If people want to watch me on Instagram, they can. And I make all these fancy shakes. I, I could easily have plain shakes, but I do it. More for my customers to see and people who are watching me as well to see how much fun it is also to do, you know, those sort of things as well. So have a little bit of fun with everything you do. You don't have to be so serious in life, you know, and so then you don't look forward to it. There's times, of course, when you need to be serious and then other times you can have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. Anthony, just touching your business, Kuta Uh you, you mentioned before you, uh, you do shakes for your customer. Uh, uh, can we actually... Uh, have access to this product? Uh, do you mind to share with us about about? Yeah, yeah. Now I've been using the Herbalife products now for 11 years, and so yes, I, I do get a lot of my clients on the Herbalife products, and so I like to look at myself as a one-stop shop in terms of. I do a, a fit club uh, also out in the northern part of Melbourne, and I've been doing fit clubs for a long time, and uh, we get it's a little community thing out there. It's eight dollars you get, and we give you a recovery shake as well. So the first 30 minutes after you train. That's the, the most precious time to get the good nutrition into your body because then if you're not, that's a waste of a training session. So we try to recover well as soon as we train. And then after that, you can go on and, and do whatever it is that you want to do. But definitely, we do online challenges, Gus. Uh, you know, we do our eight-day challenges, do 21-day challenges. It's all online. So no matter which part of the world you're on, you just can hit me up. You can get involved. I just got a new client today who, you know, has a wedding, I think, next February. He was saying to me, and he wants to, you know, trim down by then. You know, needs to probably lose 15, 20 kilos won't be a problem. And, you know, that's more the nutrition side. And so that's how you could have fit with all the knowledge that I've learned over the years, incorporating, you know, with whole food eating and as well and enjoying yourself. That's, yeah, that's what I do now. And I, lo I love that with a passion. I started it 11 years ago in a time when, when I finished football and I was a lost soul out there. I needed to find a business that would challenge me, a business that I can set goals, a bit like footy, right? A bit like footy that I love, that I could get up in the morning and go, okay, this is what I really want to do. And that's what I did with uh, with the business that I'm doing now. And so 
those three years, believe me, when I finished football, and that's really tough, I, I start to think of some other footballers and think, you know, by the end of it, I'm, I'm getting sponsorship, I'm doing commercials, you know, promotions. I had an unbelievable time with my football career, in particular second half. My contract grew dramatically compared to the way it started. So I was one of the fortunate ones. The other ones, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think, wow, you know, what happens to them after football? It's a very tough time. It's no different to someone who's been in a job for 20 years and all of a sudden have been made redundant. And, uh, you know, that's all the skills that they know. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? That's what I was like at the age of 34. I never got back to the footy club. There was nothing there available for me. Tried a little bit in the media. I could see I wasn't really going too far with it. So I needed to find something. So luckily I stumbled across, you know, the business that I do now, the Herbalife business. And uh, I started it part-time while I was working for a car finance company. And then uh, I grew it into a full-time income, you know, within three years. And then since then really just been working from home. And uh, it's been incredible. So I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky because... You know, mentally as well, I needed it because, you know, when you go through a low point in my life, which I did at the end of my football career, I thought I was ready for it, you know. I was there, you know, grounded, down-to-earth kind of guy, but I still wasn't ready. And so luckily I found something that I love. And, and Anthony, can all these be purchased through the Fit website? They can come to my Instagram right now. I've got to, like, fix up a few little things now. I'm not great when it comes to technology and these sort of things. I tend to think that's all right. They, they can just hit me up. So... Excuse me, I feel like coughing, but uh, <coughs> on my Instagram, there's a link there. They can come there or just message me, whether it's my public Facebook account or whether it's uh, Instagram, and I always get back to people. I get them on the phone, explain it, everything, make sure that they're comfortable so they can get everything through there, yeah, so they can get it, yeah, through me, yeah. <clears throat> and for those that want more information on Kuda where would they go? Is there a website that you can share with us? Oh, just the same thing. Just go to my Instagram. I often talk about things and update people in my stories. Like this morning, I went for a walk with my dog, you know, Coco, updated him. Tom, I'm on a podcast now. Tonight, I'm doing a promo, promotion out in Nary Warren tomorrow at East Keel. Or, you know, we have live events back now also that we're doing as well. So people come along to live events. We do product info sessions online. You know, how you can get your products cheaper. Just all these things we try to implement for our for our people, we educate them as much as we possibly can. Yeah, brilliant. And, and I want to ask you, Anthony, just when you're talking about you see the fun in everything, you know, I, I can't help to say you don't just see the fun, but from our discussion that we've had now, and I'm sure Gus, you'll agree, you also see the positive in everything. Like even though when you talk about your challenges, you talk about, you know, the positive side of it. Is there any secret recipe for how you do this? Because being a positive person when you're, you know, when you're really down is very hard to do. Is there any secret to how you do this? Because just by this discussion, we can see, yeah, you're fun, but you're also very, very positive. Yeah, I try to stay positive as much as I can. I understand, like, you know, the way that we feed it, you know, the words into our brain is the way, you know, what, we, we give out to the universe and that as well. And so I try to do as much reading as I can. I listen to motivational speakers. So I tend to like get up in the morning doing that sort of stuff and then hopefully end my night sometimes doing that sort of. So it's filtered into the brain more like being more positive because otherwise the negativity with what's going on out there too can really drag you down because there's a lot of issues going on out there and, uh, you know, I don't like it too. You know, I like the old Australia the way it was, but unfortunately circumstance the way it is now in the world, it is – it's a little bit out of whack. We just got to accept it. But, um, yeah, all that positive positivity, the personal development, I think, is such a key to everything that we do in order to get better. And so, you know, reading positive books, you know, self-development and, you know, that, that stuff is what 
I love and thrive on. I, I know that for every negative thought that we have, you've got to think of so many positive thoughts to overcome it because negative is somehow, I don't know what it is, you know, into us, the gossiping, which I do a bit of too. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it as well, but try not to gossip too much. You know, we can get on the phone and talk to these people all day. And, oh, yeah, what about this and what about that? And I try to hang around like-minded people that are positive. And uh, even when I get to Fit Club, I always say, one of the things is we say, 20% is exercise, 80% is nutrition, 100% mindset, but there's always blue sky. So whatever's happening out there in our lives, and including me, if there's some things that are getting me and dragging me down, once we walk through these these doors here and in amongst here at this fit club, it's blue skies. It's all positive. And uh, that's where I just try to change the philosophy a little bit there as well. And so if people come nag now, I'm like, I want to talk to you, but until you start being a little bit more positive, I'm not going to. So I just try to educate them as well and so then they can come with me just with positive things. Otherwise, I'm going to get dragged down like anyone else as well. If there's too much negativity being said to me. I'm human. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not invincible. I'm not Superman. I'm going to, you know, I'm not Cooter Man or whatever. I'm just a normal human being like anyone else as well. And so I try to just do the very best that I can. And, and I try to instill that into my people too who – we can look at life and life is hard and life hasn't been easy for me too. Things haven't been gifted to me. I've worked hard at it. But, you know, we have to try to make the most of it while we're on earth and we realise now there's so much things going on out there. We just never know when it is, you know. And so when your time's up, man, I'm going to make sure that I've given the very best that I possibly can. I love when you say uh, I'm not a superman from a pro athlete winning so much in your career still look absolutely like a winner today and comes up with a lot of humility, very humble and still say, I need to learn. I read the book. And I think that's one thing that the small and medium business, including myself running a business, need to remember that uh, the journey of success is infinite. You know, until the day you are literally gone from this world, uh, If you do not have that mindset that you need to learn, you need to accept that every day is a new day for you to work hard, I think I agree with you. I think uh, you can get there. <laughs> That's the reality of life, I think. Thank you for, remind Thank you for reminding us. That's right. No, but in football, was the same thing. If you ever felt like I've got this game under control, it would chew you up and spit you up so quickly. And so that's the same thing, I guess, you know, in business too now. It's the same thing. If you feel like I've got this under control, You are wrong. You've always got to improve. Otherwise, you're falling backwards. Anthony, I have learned so much from you, and I'm sure you have, Gus, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I'm looking at time. We're actually out of time. So I'm going to hand over to you, Gus, for the wrap-up. Okay, thank you. So, Anthony, once again, on behalf of Leader Talk, Natalie and myself, we would like to say thank you for you to share your full self. You're not coming to this session just to talk about your achievement. You openly say uh, and share with us the time when it was very hard for you. These are the learning that I took from you. If I want to achieve my goal, then I need to be disciplined. The top three lesson for success, according to you, number one, hang around right people that can lift you and at the same time you can learn from them. Be disciplined so you can map your day have a diary even you say so you don't waste time and last you say hard work in the absence of hard work you can't get there and i totally agree with that 
uh, it doesn't matter what people think. There's so many people sitting on the grandstand talking about how you should play when they're eating popcorn. As long as you know you have the confidence and the ability, you will win. If you work hard, the universe will help you. I love that. We get judged by people all the time, but keep going. You are the player who can control the controllable. All the hard time, the things that you don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, is actually makes you who you are today and you are a stronger and better person because all the things you don't want to hear and see in the past. And then you said also to us at the end, priority number one have to be yourself. As if you are unhealthy, you will not be able to do what you need to do to help others and yourself. Be fun, work hard, train hard, and have fun because that's what it's about. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your insight. We are so blessed to learn from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Anthony. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Bye, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.